Father, forgive us if in any way we've doubted who you are, if we've doubted your ability, if we've doubted what you desire to do in and through your children. Father God, help us to, to join together uh, to, to honor you with, with glory, Father, to rise up in song, to sing your praises, Father, because you and you alone are worthy. As we praise you, Father God, as we give you the glory, do a work in us here this morning. May our hearts be softened and prepared to hear the gospel once again or maybe even for the first time. And may our lives be filled with the joy of knowing the good news of Jesus. May our lives be transformed, Father God. May paths of destruction and sin and running from you, Father, be cut off. May we turn and run to you because there is life in you. There is joy in you. There is fulfillment and blessing in you, Father God. And so we run to you. We're in need of you, Father. We praise you for who you are. Come and work in this place. Come and work through us, however you see fit, Father. To you, to you be the glory. Amen.
before you this morning and we just sing, sing, sing to you, God. We love you so much and we thank you that you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you go ahead and take a seat? We've got a testimony video for you this morning. My name is uh, Al Kujak. I'm a member of Meadowland Church. I came to Christ at Meadowland about two years ago. And, uh, you know, I got this amazing hunger when I came to Christ for the Bible and I started a prayer life and I got a personal relationship with Jesus. And I was kind of studying on my own for quite a while. And then I fell into a small group. I got involved with a small group on evangelism and it was really a blessing being around like-minded people. For a while there, I felt like the Lone Ranger. And it was just wonderful. It, and, but I drug my feet on baptism. I kind of drug my feet. I didn't get baptized till last November. But uh, Pastor Adam come up to me and says, you know, Al, he says, I know a lot of people that, that didn't follow through with baptism. They kind of fizzled out. And that scared me. I didn't want to fizzle out. So I went ahead with baptism. And I got baptized last November. And after I got baptized, all these amazing things just started happening to me in my life. Not that they weren't amazing before it, but... The day of my baptism, my son Jeremy came to my baptism. He was a young man that was far from Christ. The day he came to my baptism, he got very emotional. I noticed it. I, I was kind of emotional myself. But the very next morning, Monday morning, he, uh, he came over to the house early in the morning. Joanne and I were sitting having coffee, and he sits down right at this table, and he puts his hand on his head, and he says, Mom, Dad, he says, I don't know. He says, I can't explain it. This feeling I've got coming over me. He says, ever since I went through them church doors yesterday. And I said, son, it's the Holy Spirit coming on you. He says, let him in, you know. So he left, and me and Joanne, we cried. It was amazing. And, you know, just one thing after another in this last year, just having my wife started studying the Bible and going to small groups, and my daughter-in-law started studying the Bible and going to church all the time. My sister-in-law started studying the Bible, coming to church, got baptized. It was just beautiful. It was like the Lord opened up heaven and just showered all these blessings down on me and my family. It was absolutely wonderful. And then the small group that I was in, we kind of took a turn in the prayer. We were studying prayer. And uh, we, got, we got to the last chapter in this one book, and Doug DeBree says, that's the kind of church I want. I want a church that does public prayer. That's what they were talking about in the book. So we decided as a small group to go ahead and start public prayer at Meadowland. And we, we uh, at first, when, it, when he first brought this up, I was like, oh boy, this ain't for me. I'm scared, you know. I, I don't, I, I'll forget what to say. I, you know, I was coming up with all these excuses like I did with baptism. With getting baptized, I had a bunch of excuses why it wasn't a good idea for me. But we decided to go ahead and, and start. So about a month ago, we... We met at church, and we'd meet after first service and before second service. And our leader, our team leader, Kai Hansen, he says, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Everybody gather around, and we'll make a circle, and we'll hold hands. And I'll pray first, and then I'll squeeze the hand of the person to my right. And then that person can either pray, or he can skip just by squeezing the person in his right hand. And I'm like, yes, Lord, you saved me again. I don't have to pray. But you know what, it come around to my turn and I did pray and it's been a blessing ever since. And I actually, I look forward to, to the group prayer now, uh, praying in church, praying in public. I look forward to it. It's a wonderful thing. You know, as a, 
As a congregation at Meadowland, we have a lot to be praying about right now. We have this Unleash the Vision campaign going on, which is really a big deal. We're trying to raise money. This, this building of ours, things aren't exactly peachy creamy around here. This building needs a lot of work from the bottom up. And unfortunately, that takes money. That takes money. But you know, more important than the money, if you haven't got a dime to put in there, it's, you got to know that's okay. You don't, if you haven't got it, you haven't got it. But you do have something you can get. You can give your prayer. You, you, you can cry out to Jesus to turn this vision into a reality. And so, that being said, I am officially inviting everybody here after first service, before second, second service, to come and hold hands with us and let's cry out to the Lord together and ask Him to unleash this vision and turn Meadowland into a beautiful flock. Thank you for your time, and uh, God bless you all. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great uh, to be with you this morning. I am struggling through a cold, and so I invite you to... Uh, struggle through that cold with me this morning. Um, uh, I, I'll probably begin to yell at some point this morning. Uh, that's for two reasons. Number one, my voice is, is going down, so I'm turning the volume up. Number two, just because I feel like yelling. So uh, that'll probably happen. Um, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Um, we, we, Meadowland Church, normally, if, if you can use the word normal around Meadowland Church, Normally, we try to hone in on one scripture passage a week. Last week and this week are the exceptions to that. I'm going to give you more scripture than you probably know what to do with. And the reality, and the reason for that is because I want you to see God's word. I think more than anything, more than my word, what you need is God's word. And so we're going to put all these scriptures up on the screen. We're going to give these to you. We want you to have these so you can study them and remember them and read through them this week, because we're talking about some stuff that I think is really, really important for our lives. We're in this series called In Real Life, and we're really answering the question of what does it look like in your life, and what does it look like in my life to have a relationship with a God who is invisible? And what does it really mean, and on a day-to-day basis in your life and my life, how do we have a relationship with God? And we've, we've said that there's these really two defining principles in this series, two things that are kind of motivating us and driving us, and I want to share these with you again. The first one is that your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Uh, This is true for driving directions. This is true for your spiritual life. This is true for your career. This is true for all arenas of life is your current direction, not your intention, ultimately wins when it comes to your destination. In at Meadowland Church, we really believe that life is a spiritual journey, and your current direction, not your current intention, is going to set your destination, and we believe that to be two very real, very uh, eternal places, either heaven or hell, and there's a lot of great intentions, but really what we want to talk about is your direction. How's that going for you today? What direction are you heading on your journey? Are you taking steps closer to Jesus? Or are you taking steps further away 
from Jesus. And so this is really important because we believe direction is extremely significant when it comes to our spiritual journey. And at Meadowland Church, we want to see you take te- step after step after step closer to Jesus. The second one is this. Spiritual growth is intentional, not accidental. That when it comes down to your life and my life as Christ followers, as people who are saved, uh, it's our responsibility. There's some intention behind the way we follow Jesus. Paul uses, Paul uses illustrations like a soldier in battle, like an athlete performing at their sport, like a runner running a race. You run for the prize to get across the finish line. And that's intentional. There's some training, some preparation, some discipline involved in our spiritual lives. And that if we want to continue to grow, and if we want to continue to grow in our pursuit of Jesus to become more like them, then it's going to take some intention that we have to make up our minds to do some strategic things so that we can continue to grow and continue to know him and pursue him. And we said this last week, I'll say this again. Do not take what happens next is if I do this, I'm a Christ follower. That would be religion. That's not what we're preaching here. What we're saying is because he redeemed us, because he saved us, because he loved us first, because he saved us in his great love and his great mercy, that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. And once I've been saved by him, there's some intentional things that I can do to follow him, some intentional things I can do to grow in my walk with him, some intentional things that I can do to worship him because of who he is and what he has done. And so in the course of this journey, we've talked about worshiping God in our finances, and we talked about last week worshiping God through prayer and scripture reading. What we talked about last week is how do we worship God in our own personal, private lives? And that's where we started. And so we got this little diagram. We're going to use this diagram this week that we said, really what it looks like in one regard is that having a, a personal relationship with Jesus, an active relationship with God in our lives is prayer and scripture reading. And prayer is the up arrow. Prayer is me communicating intentional messages to God. This is where I intentionally pause and say, God, here's the thing. Here's my heart. Here's how I feel. I need to communicate some things to you. I need you to get involved in some stuff. God, I wish you would. I know you could. Will you? And the reason we say it's intentional is because all throughout our lives, we probably send God all kinds of unintentional messages. But prayer is the act of pausing to intentionally use our words to send messages to God. The other arrow coming down is revelation, that God speaks to us through his word, that his word is God-breathed, that when we open the Bible, it's literally his voice, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it cuts the bone and the marrow, the soul and the spirit, that it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, reproof, that every man and every woman of God would be complete, lacking nothing. And we used this phrase last week because Jesus gave us this phrase. He said that in our personal lives, that our God who is in secret sees what we do in secret and will reward us. And that it's really important for us to have a private time in our lives where we connect with God. When we pray to him, and when we receive words from him, mainly through scripture. And Jesus says that this is where it begins for us. Because what happens is, is there's a huge room for error when it comes to the intention of our hearts. 
that Jesus says that we could actually get before people and pray these big, huge prayers. Oh, God, you're so great. God, you're so awesome. God, I beseech thee and this and thou and that. And really in our heart, rather than desiring God, what we'd be desiring is for people to think we're more spiritual than we really are. And there'd be times that we would bring these big, huge Bibles that we don't touch Monday through Saturday, but we bring them to church on Sunday, and we would open them and share words with people and really hope that they would think that we're better than we are. And Jesus says, that's what the Pharisees do. He says, the Pharisees are people who read their Bible to get applause from other people. Or they're people who confess other people's sins so that they look really good. And they're people who pray so that people would applaud their prayers. And Jesus says, they receive the reward in full. When they get done praying, when they get done reading their Bible, when they get done doing their thing, what they get is the applause of man. Isn't he awesome? And Jesus says that's their spiritual reward, that people think good thoughts about them. But Jesus says, stop that. Just knock that off. He says, rather, get alone. Get into your closet and close the door. He says, your father who is in secret sees what you do in secret and he'll reward you. And that the reward would be is that as we get alone with God, that he would show up, that he would draw near, that he would be present. That God would say, I'm here, and not only am I hearing your prayers, but I'm answering those prayers according to my will. And not only that, but I'm going to communicate to you through my word. And see, what I think in your life and my life is scripture reading and prayer go hand in hand. That I think the more informed our prayers are by scripture, the better they'll be. And the more that we go to God seeking him and saying, God, I'm seeking you through prayer, and I'm going to open up the Bible because what I want is you, and I believe this is your word, the more we'll see in Scripture. And so what happens is we need to have this in our lives, but not just in private in our lives. In fact, maybe one of the person, the person in the Scripture that shows us to this maybe most clearly is Jesus, right? I was just paging through the Gospels the other day. And one of the things that was interesting is how many times the disciples woke up in the morning and couldn't find Jesus. And I remember, I remember writing in my journal how terrifying that must have been. Like the first time, they probably totally freaked out. Like, we've given our life to this, this person. We believe that he is the Messiah. We believe he's the Son of God. And you wake up in the morning, you're like, where's Jesus? He's not here. Like, Peter, you were closest to the door. When did he get out? He's like, I don't know, man. I was sawing some logs. And could you imagine disciples going, where is he? What's he doing? Where'd he go? Is he coming back? And Jesus comes back and I'm like, what are you doing? So like, well, I had to go get alone with my father. And then Jesus would say all the time that I just go where my father tells me to go. And I just say the things that my father tells me to say that these aren't even my words, but they're his words. And this happens all the time. That the disciples turn around and they're like, where did Jesus? He keeps doing this to us. Why is Jesus always leaving us behind? Jesus says, because what? happens in secret is important. That Jesus himself, and listen, if it was important for Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, holy, 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 righteous, complete, how much more important is for us broken, sinful, hurting to have time to get along with God and get before him? And it's not just as we need this in our personal lives, but we need this in our corporate lives, that we need to do this with other people. And so here here we have the diagram that you and I would personally be meeting with God. That in your life, I hope you would have this time that you would use your words to send messages to God, and then you would have times where you get in his word to receive his message for you. But then it wouldn't just happen privately, but what happens privately 
would then translate into what happens corporately, and that's the next slide. That all of a sudden you would get together in a group of people and talk about what God's doing in your life. This is what I've been praying for, and this is how you could be praying for me. And this is what I've been reading, and this is what I've been seeing, and this is what I'm understanding. This is what I'm trying to apply to my life. What, what are you reading? What are you seeing? What are you trying to apply to your life? Now what happened is as a group, now all of a sudden we'd be using our words to send messages to God through prayer. And now as a group, we'd be opening up God's word, receiving his messages through his word. And what would happen now is we're multiplying this. That there's benefit to this. That now not just alone, but now in a group motivated by what happened in my private time, that we're sharing the word of God together. That we're praying together. That we're seeking God together so that when we break apart, when we scatter, there's now a whole bunch of us in our private lives seeking God through prayer and receiving his word and seeking God through prayer and receiving his word. God, I need, I want, I, I want you too, will you? God, I need to hear from you. God, I want you so that I can be in communion with you. And see, that this would happen in all of our lives. That's what hopefully is happening here this morning. That we would come together, that we would pray together, that we would worship together, that we would open the word together so that we would scatter as the church and then go into our homes and our personal lives and our workplaces and wherever we go. We'd be in communion with God. God, I'm trying to apply. God, I'm trying to hear. God, I'm trying to do. God, I need you. God, I'm praying to you. Would you get involved? That we would do this over and over and over and over again. And see, there's all kinds of opportunities for this. But Gary, would you go back to that last slide real quick, the, the one with together? Perfect. You're the man. Here's the deal. This could be church for you on Sunday morning. This could be a home group for you. The, somebody, a group that meets during the week, usually on some sort of topic. We have home groups that do go through the sermons again and apply those. We have some that are doing things like Al said, prayer, evangelism. We have some groups that are just studying whole books of the Bible together. There's all, those opportunities. So you could do church like this. You could do home groups like this. We hope that your family would look like this that you would get together as a family and somehow talk about this, and we're trying to help with this. Okay, one of the things we do is uh, most of your children are hearing a similar message that you're hearing this morning, so that when you get in the car, there's not tons of homework that you have to do. So that when you get in the car and your kids go, Mom and Dad, what did you talk about today? You could say, we talked about prayer, and we talked about Scripture in our lives. You say, what did you learn about? And they wouldn't say to you, Mekilzadak, and who do you think he is in the Old Testament? You go, I don't even know who that is. So you didn't laugh because you don't know who he is. But rather you'd go, hey, what did you guys talk about? And you would go, well, we talked about scripture reading and prayer. You go, that's funny. We talked, well, what did you learn? And now you could do this as a family. And then you could open the word together and you could pray together. And maybe in scripture, the people that model this for us best are the apostles in the early church. That we see this so clearly in their lives. And I want to read for you Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. We're going to put this up on the screen, and I just want to read this for you this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles'. And all who believed were together and had all 
things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That included well, septic tank, water retention pond, by the way. (laughs) And day by day, attending the temple together and the breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were saved. I love this because you give it just a synopsis of the Gospels. Jesus shows up, claims that he's fully God, fully man, that he's the Messiah. He then recruits a whole bunch of people called the disciples who follow him. And he says, I'm here to save you from your sin. I'm here to save you from hell. I'm here to save you from the wrath of God. He then goes to the cross and he dies. He then comes back from death after three days. He appears to people for 40 days, revealing himself. He then gives the greatest mission ever given to his people. He says, because of who I am and because of what you know about me, go into all the world so that everybody could know. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything. And listen, I'm with you always till the end of the age. And these guys who had never been maybe 20 to 50 miles outside of their hometowns ago, he said the world, that Jesus came to save the world and he wants us to do it. By the way, Jesus came to save the world and he wants us to share the gospel. And so these guys, loving Jesus, wanting to obey Jesus, begin to do some things. And here's the three things they do. They gather together, They pray together, and they devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles or the word. They go, here's the foundation we're going to build this thing upon. That if we're going to do what Jesus said that we need to do, then here's how we're going to do it. We're going to gather together. We're going to be devoted to the teaching of the word, and we're going to be devoted to prayer. And see, if we would somehow get together and send our messages to God, our helper, and ask him to strengthen us and to help us and to do what we need him to do so we could do what he wants us to do. And if we would get into his word and, and hear what he wants us to do and how he wants us to do it is truth for our lives, then somehow we could worship him and somehow we would accomplish the very thing he called us to do. And I believe it's equally important for you and for me that if we would do this in our lives, it would have significant results. If, it would, if we would do this in our lives, it would not only just impact us, it would impact our church, and it wouldn't just impact our church, it would impact the world. And see, I think there's five things that happen, and there's probably more than five, but I only have time for five today, and I'll get you home in time for halftime <laughs> of the 720 game. Five things I think would come about in our lives if we would do this. Five things that I think would happen if we would follow the examples of the apostles and say, listen, this is real. This is true. This is God's will for us that we would gather, that we would be in the word together, that we would pray together, and that it would impact our lives. But you say, why in the world should I do this? Why in the world would I take time out of my life but why would I add frustration to trying to make this happen? Why should this be a priority? The first one is this, so that you might be unified. So that you might be 
unified. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, verse 44. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had things in common. Now here's what you have to know about the early church. They didn't have a whole lot in common. Many people at this time traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. And all of a sudden they witness, many not even knowing what they would witness, but this guy named Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. But then he resurrects. And one of the things he says when he appears to people is, I'll come again. And so people went, we shouldn't leave Jerusalem. Because he said he'd come back. And they're thinking like tomorrow. They're thinking he'll be here soon. So you have people from all over the place. Farmers, business people, religious people, irreligious people. People who are clean, people who are unclean. All waiting for Jesus. But here's what they know. They know that they saw a guy die on a cross. Then they saw him reappear, and so they believe in him, and they don't even really know what that means other than he said he's coming back. And so now you've got a church. And listen, the early church had problems. Okay, we read in Acts that at some point the church had to establish elders. And the reason they had to establish elders is because the Greek Jews couldn't get along with the other Jews. And they were fighting over who should get more bread. And that happens in churches. We think our group should get a little bit more bread. And the apostles said, you know who should deal with this? Elders. So that we can keep praying. So we can keep seeking God to have words from God. And the early church had problems, but here's the thing. They were unified. They came together only through gathering, Bible reading, and prayer. Unification comes only where you see people devoted to one another through prayer and Bible reading. Don't believe me? Start praying for your enemies. They might not stop being your enemy, but it'll change. Something will happen in your heart. See, something significant begins to happen when you get around a group of people and say, I love Jesus, and I think Jesus loves you, and we're going to begin to do this thing together. So I'll pray with you, and I'll pray for you, and I'll read the word with you, and I'll share the word with you, and all of a sudden there's some unity that happens. You begin to realize who you are, and that you're no different than they are, and that Jesus is who he said he is, and that unifies us all. And that if you want unity, then first you have to get with some people and love them enough to share the word with them, and love them enough to pray with them, and love them enough to be in fellowship with them. Every now and then, people will, will come to either Steve or I and say, we just don't feel like people know us. We just don't feel like we're part of the church family. See, if you say that, here's, here's what I know. You're not involved in any group. Like you're not sitting down with people and having fellowship with people. You're not reading the Bible with people. And you're not praying with people. And so we can't force that. We can only create opportunities for you to do that. 
which is why we have so many teams to serve on, which is why we have so many home groups that are growing and splitting to accommodate more. Listen, we want you to get out of rows and to get into circles so that you begin to experience this. If you would begin to get with people, read the Bible with them, praying with them and for them, you'd begin to discover unity with other Christ followers in your life. Not only would you discover unity, but if you did this, you would begin to believe so that you might believe. I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. This is Paul. Paul's summing up his entire ministry. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the gospel. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Pause what Paul says. Paul goes, you want, you want to know why I teach? You want to know why I do this thing? He says, I teach you so that you could receive it. And by receive it, he means believe in it because then he changes it. He says, I preach it, you receive it, then something significant hands, like, takes place in you, you begin to stand in it. It means you, you begin to settle in it, you begin to walk in it, you begin to live it. And he says, And not only that, but then you'd begin to be saved by it. He says, unless, of course, you believed in vain. It was unless, of course, you never believed at all. Unless, of course, you never received it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with, with the scripture. Paul goes, listen, the reason I teach this, the reason I share this, the reason I write so much is because I want you to believe. And the way you begin to believe more is that you begin to read scripture more and understand it more. Scripture fuels our faith. And so the more we can get into it, the more we can share it, the more that we can begin to understand it, the more that we would believe. In fact, one of the reasons you should share Scripture with everyone is because you may be talking to someone that doesn't believe at all. And one of the ways that they might begin to believe in Jesus is because you would take time to share the Word with them. Paul goes, that's surely his intent. Because the reason I just preach to you and preach to you and preach to you and preach to you is he goes, I hope at some point you'll receive it, that you'll believe in it and that you'll stand in it and then you'll begin to be saved by it. So this is why Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but also by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That our scripture feeds our faith. And that sometimes if we need more faith, or if there's times that we need to believe more, what we really need is more of his word. That there may be times that you're experiencing doubt. I think as believers, we will experience doubt. I think we should experience doubt. Jesus makes some huge claims. And I think we should have intellect and we should think through those things. And see, doubt is simply faith that wants to believe. That's what I love about Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. I think Thomas was a smart guy. He said, Jesus, I want to believe this. I also know a few things about anatomy. Anatomy. And so everything that I know says you shouldn't be alive right now. 
So I want to believe it's you, but I'm just not sure that I can believe it's you. And Jesus never rebukes him for doubting. What Jesus says is, here, get closer. Touch the wounds, see them, so that you can believe. You see, we need people in our lives that would share God's worth with us. Uh, People who would open the Bible and say, let's read this together and let's hash this out together. Which leads us to number three, so that you might be encouraged. That you might be encouraged. Now when I say encouraged, on one hand, I'm talking about people that would just send good thoughts your way. We need that. We need people to say, hey, you look good today. We need people to tell us, hey, I think you're a nice person. But we need people that when those of you who have hair get your hair cut, that someone would notice and say, your hair looks healthy, bouncy, and shiny today. You got a haircut. And that would be encouraging. But I'm not just talking about that Hallmark-type encouragement. I'm also talking about people who would encourage you in the deep things of God. People who would encourage you in the hardship of living out your faith. People who would say, you can do it. We're with you and we'll help you. I think one of the most significant things we can experience on our spiritual journey is knowing that there's people that are with us and that are for us and that if we fall, they'll pick us up again. And that's what I'm talking about when I say encouragement. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 25. He's talking about salvation. He's using this analogy that All of us have an old self, a sinful self, a self that is separated from God and doomed to hell because of that sin. He said, because of Jesus, we have a new self. It's not that he just purifies the old self, but completely gets rid of the old self and gives us a new self that I might be a new creation. And then Paul begins to talk about this dynamic and this tension that we'll be tempted at times to go back to the old self. That will be tempted to fall into habits and routines, the old self. And Paul says, remember, you're a new self. But remember, just like when you get dressed in the morning, which thanks for doing that, by the way. He says, just like when you get dressed in the morning, put on the new self. Remember to continually to grow in the new self. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now watch this. He's saying because of that truth, because you're a new self, because you have an old self, because I'm encouraging you to continually put on the new self and stay away from the old self, he says because of that, therefore, therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. It says, because of this dynamic, because of this conflict, because of this opportunity to grow in the new self or go back to the old self, quit lying to one another. And see, this is how this works in the church. You come into the church and somebody says, how are you doing today? And you say, good. 
And the reality is, you're not good. The reality is, your life is falling apart. Satan's nipping at your heels. You're thinking about putting up the white flag and giving in. Don't you dare come in and say you're doing good. Don't you dare speak falsehoods to one another. This is because if you speak falsehoods, you rob us of speaking the truth into your life. It says, don't lie to one another. It says, when you see your brother sinning, don't put on falsehood. Go to him and say, what you're doing will kill you. It's sin. It says, don't you dare allow people who are a part of you to go back to the former way of living. It says, therefore, speak truth to one another. Truth out of love. To encourage them, hey, I love you, and you have healthy, bouncy, shiny hair. But to encourage them, don't give up on the cross. Don't give up. Don't continue sinning. It will kill you. How come you haven't been in small group for three weeks? Are you backsliding? Tell me the truth. What sins are you wrestling with? Let me help you. How are you doing for real? Life's horrible. I'm glad you said that. I'm not doing that great either. Can we start praying for one another? Can we start writing the Bible with one another? See, the problem with living in suburbia is we live life like hell, and then we come home, close the garage door, close the blinds, and we try to do it all by ourselves. We think if it just stays in the house, it won't hurt anybody else. And Paul says, knock it off. He says, because there's this old self and this new self, because there's life in Jesus and there's sin in hell, quit lying to one another. Put away falsehood. And speak the truth to one another. Because we're members of one another. When you sin, we all sin. When you hurt, we all hurt. When you do well, we all do well. When you grow in Christ, we all go in Christ. We're all in this thing together. So let's encourage one another by speaking the truth to one another. I think the most encouraging thing that can happen in a believer's life is when another believer walks up to him and said, I've been praying for you. And as I was praying for you, this verse came to mind. Here's what I would like to do to you. I would like to speak God's truth over you. I just want to share this verse with you. I know, I know you've been struggling, and I just saw this first. So let me speak it to you. Which leads to number four, that you might be sharpened. So you might be sharpened. Now, I said that you need people to encourage you, and you do. And, and I've got a few of those people in my life. Um, I, I'm a, a gift giver. And I also like receiving gifts. And I was actually given this sword as a gift. Probably one of the top 10 gifts I was ever given. I mean, seriously, a sword? That's pretty awesome. And um, it's a real sword. It's got some, some weight to it. It'll probably cause a little bit of damage. Uh, I have two kids, uh, both of which think they're superheroes and ninjas. So this sword remains hidden in my house. In fact, I asked my wife to bring it today because my sons are both awake. When I was leaving this morning, I just didn't want them to see me get it. Now, here, here's the deal. I got this sword, and I was like, dude, this is cool. So I, I started doing some research about swords, and I was playing with it, and I, I kind of had to wait uh, for some free time when my kids weren't around because I just didn't want them playing with the sword. And, and I, this, this was kind of my goal 
with the sword is I asked my wife if we could mount it somewhere in the house, you know, kind of like this thing, and she said no. So I just did what she said. So, so my, my, next, my next plan was to somehow, to somehow put this in our bedroom so that, so that if I ever thought someone was breaking into the house at night, see now, how cool would that be? How cool would that be? Okay? Like, you know, just coming down the stairs, like full sheath, you know, just, just oh, I put it in the wrong way. Coming down, full sheath, and I'm like, what you doing? Ah! Get out of here! See, people, and they leave. <laughs> but that's all the evidence you need right there, officer. Collect that. We'll find them. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Just one problem with the sword. It, it's not sharp at all. At all. You couldn't cut a tissue paper with this. You'd rip it over it. It's got a little bit of a point so I could poke their eye out. Uh, stand still. But here's the reality. Somebody broke into my house and I pulled out this sword. I would have to beat them to death with it. <laughs> Just stop. Quit moving. It'd be like, it hurts, but it's not doing anything. Shut up. Just poke you in the eye. That's all I could do with this. That's it. This is an ornamental sword. It doesn't do anything. Now, here's the deal. I can get it sharpened. They just don't sell them sharpened. I've just decided for my own good and the good of my family not to sharpen it. So my kids, move out. I solved the break-in problem another way, but that's another sermon for another day. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Say, why in the world are you talking about this? So you might be sharpened. Proverbs chapter 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Here's the deal. Every single commentator who's worth their weight will tell you they have no idea what the scripture verse means. It could mean intellect. It could mean wisdom. It could mean in character. It could mean all sorts of things. That the scripture really means that when we get together, we're better together. And that it would have all sorts of implications. That we would gain in knowledge. That we would grow in character. That we're wiser when we make decisions together. That when I learn the way you problem solve, it changes the way that I problem solve. That when I learn the way you see things, your perspective, it enhances my perspective. That we learn things from one another. And that when two of us get together in relationship, that we sharpen one another, that somehow we bring out the best in one another. And I, as I read this, I was just so impressed in my spirit to believe that one of the, one of the things this means is that when iron sharpens iron, it has everything to do with a sword. Because when I think about iron, I think about a blacksmith hammering out a sword or an axe or some sort of weapon. And he wants to sharpen it because no one goes to battle with an unsharpened sword. And here's one of the things I believe about you and here's one of the things that I know about me, that every single one of us is in a spiritual battle. Every single one of us. Paul says like a soldier in a battlefield, every single one of us is in a battle. And that every single one of us 
is facing some sort of temptation in your life, maybe even right now. And if you're here and you go, I don't ever face temptation, then odds are you're either not a believer or you're worthless in the kingdom of God. Because Satan attacks believers. It's what he's good at. And that one of the things that happens is that we need to be sharpened so that we can go into battle and be successful. So that we're not running into battle trying to beat people with a sword that isn't sharpened. But when the devil shows up, you can say, hey, I'm empowered. I got my armor on and I got my sword on and it's sharp and I'm ready for battle. Let me make this really practical. In this room right now, there are some of you that are being tempted and you're falling into that temptation. Scripture says that Satan is a roaring lion looking for people to devour. Satan loves to devour defenseless people. That's a cute sword. I love the fact that it's not sharpened. I'll use it as a toothpick after I eat you. And we have people who are single in your relationships and you are making horrible decisions. You are pretending to be married when you are not married, and it is sin. Living together, sleeping together, doing things that you know are wrong, you need to be sharpened so that you can win the battle. Listen, you've got married couples in this room, and divorce is on the table. You've had that conversation. Maybe we should just end this. Maybe we should just ruin each other's lives and maybe we should just ruin the lives of our children. Maybe we should just do something that God clearly states in his scripture that he hates. Maybe that's a good idea. You need to be sharpened because Satan is winning that battle. But there's some of you that are walking around giving back into lust, doing things on a computer that you would be embarrassed if anyone found out about. Some of you are choosing addiction over your loved ones. Some of you are thinking about giving in, giving up, and just putting up the white flag and going, I can't do it anymore. And here's the problem. You're fighting alone, and you don't have a sharpened sword. So we walked in here this morning, and we sang a song that Jesus is our victory, that he's our victory, and he is our victory. The problem is we're not fighting from a stance of victorious. When Satan attacks, we go, I can't do anything about this. I don't have a sword, and I'm scared, and I'm alone. And Scripture says, you never had to fight that way. That you should always be surrounded by other believers who would sharpen you and help you and walk with you into the battle so that you could have the freedom and the victory that Jesus always wanted you to have. So Paul said, right, he set you free for the sake of freedom so that you would never have to take back the burden or the yoke of slavery which you once had. One of the reasons we need to get together and pray together and read the word together and pray with each other and for each other so that we would be sharpened. Number five, so that we might be healed. James chapter five, verse 16. James says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And see, everybody pushes back on that verse and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Is James saying that I have to confess my sins to a person so that I can be healed? No, that's not actually what he's saying. Jesus is the only one that can save you. Jesus is the only one that can give you forgiveness for your sins. What James is saying is that when you confess your sins to one another, you're healed because you now have people who can testify to the forgiveness and to the healing. See, every single one of us has this propensity to use our past as an excuse for our future. Don't miss that. We have a propensity to use our past as an excuse for our future. We go, well, I I did that. Man, if anybody ever knew about that. If you only knew the sins I've committed, if you only knew the things I've done, if if you just knew how horrible, if you ever knew how far I rebelled, if you ever know all that I've done, we try to keep that a secret. See, we then allow those secret, hidden sins to prevent us from living today. So we say things like, God would never love me. God could never use me. I could never get into a small group because what if they discovered? And what if you knew you would stop loving me if you knew, if you just knew? See, this is how Satan works. He's a tempter. So he tempts you. And every single one of us will face temptation. Temptation's not a sin. It's falling into sin. That's a sin. That's a sin of a sin. But temptation is when Satan says, you deserve this. No, really, you're special. No, really, no one will know. No, really, this won't go wrong for you like it went wrong for all of them. No, no, you deserve this because of this, and you should, and here's all the reasons why. He's also an accuser. So once you fall into temptation, you commit the sin that he tempted you in, he comes around and he says, oh, hey, by the way, God can't love you because of what you just did. Congratulations. Oh, by the way, the church will never accept you because of what you just did. God can never use you because of what you did. You horrible, horrible person. You know what you should do? More sinning. Don't pursue God. You better just fall back into the old self because that's all you're worth. And the more you go, the more he shows up and goes, see how far, see how far, see how far you are from God. See how greatly you have fallen. Begin to feel like, man, I, I can't be in fellowship with God. I can't be in fellowship with people. One of the things I want to tell you is that one of the reasons we call Meadowland Church a spiritual journey is because we take it one step at a time. And we don't judge people on where they're at. We like to judge people on where they've come from. And see, the Christian life is one of taking a step, taking a step, taking a step, and falling. Getting back up and taking two steps forward, now two steps back, and falling and getting up and step after step after step after staff, and falling again and getting back up again. And here's what you need around you. You need people around you who are praying with you and for you, who are in God's word with you, who you're also sharing your sins with. You're confessing, hey, brother, I'm struggling. Hey, brother, I'm being tempted. Hey, sister, I'm thinking about, and I think it's sin, and hey, I just need to share this with you. And so you confess your sin, God forgives, and now you have a group of people around you that when you begin to be accused... When you begin to feel like God could never love me and God could never use me, I'm not worthy, 
that you would now have a group of people that go, no, no, maybe you forgot, but I was there when you confessed that sin. I was a witness to God's forgiveness in your life. And see, maybe you forgot, but you're a child of God. And maybe you forgot, but you're justified by Christ. Maybe you forgot, but you're forgiven, and you are free, and you are complete. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ. You are hidden in him. No one can steal you from him. You are work his workmanship, and he can do all things through you because he strengthens you. Maybe you forgot, but I didn't forget. And you need those people in your life. You need those people who can come around you and go, no, don't let him bring that one back up. Satan, don't you dare try to accuse that one because I was there when my brother confessed his sins and was forgiven and I witnessed his forgiveness. I witnessed his freedom. Satan, get behind us because we're moving on. And see, every single one of us needs that in our lives. See, every single one of us will fall. The question is, do you have people around you who love Jesus who will pick you back up? and walk with you. And I believe that if we would get in groups, large groups, medium groups, small groups, home groups, family groups, if we would pray with one another, for one another, if we would read scripture with one another, I believe it would be so that we could be unified, so that we would believe, so that we would be encouraged, so that we would be sharpened, and so that we would be healed. The question is, what's your next step? For you today, what's your next step? Do you just need to begin reading the Bible? Is it time for you to join a home group? Is it time for you to begin doing this with your family? Is it time for you to come for prayer after first service before second service? What's your next step? Because your direction not your intention, determines your destination. And spiritual growth is intentional. Take some decisions. It's never accidental. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. God, we ask that you would forgive us, God, for our sins. God, that we come before you and we confess to you that There's times in our lives that we worship things other than you. God, there's times in our lives that we allow the way we feel, the things we desire, how other people think of us, our our desire for, for financial security, our desire to raise good families. God, all kinds of things. Lord, we allow to come before you. God, that there's times that we trade the truth for a lie and we're sorry. God, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you that we could gather in this place, something that believers have been doing for 2,000 years, that we could gather together, we could be committed to your word, we could join together in prayer. God, I pray that you would work. God, I pray that through your power, lives would be changed. God, maybe for some of us, Today's the first step on our journey that we just need to come before you and ask you for forgiveness of our sins. That maybe we've never done that before. Or maybe we've done it before, but we just never took root. Or we just gave up. We just slid backwards. 
God, so maybe there's some of us today that we just need to come before you and give our lives to you and ask you to be our God and our Savior. God, that we confess and realize how great our sin is. But there's nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do to make up for it. But God, in your great love and in your great mercy, you sent your son Jesus. And he who knew no sin became my sin on that cross. And through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, I believe that I can be forgiven. I believe that I can be set free. I believe that I can live life victoriously. So Jesus, we just give ourselves to you today and ask that you would forgive us. And God, for those of us that are saved by you, God, I pray that you would convict us mightily. God, I pray that we would have a deep desire for you. And God, that we would accept your word that gathering and praying with people and for people and reading scripture with people is important. That we would join the brothers and sisters who came before us thousands of years ago and were committed to meeting together, were committed to praying together, were committed to reading the word together. And out of that foundation, God, you began the church that is making its way to all peoples, to all nations, so that people might be saved by you. God, before we can be an Acts 2 church, we have to be an Acts 2 people. So God, help us to take the next steps to come before you in prayer, to come before you and read your word, not just privately, but corporately with our brothers and sisters, with those around us, our neighbors and our friends. To your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a couple minutes, the ushers are going to come forward to receive the offering. And then I, as you're ready, would you please join us as we come together as brothers and sisters, as the church, and worship the God who saved us, the God who gave us victory.